0: Hi, everyone. My name's Viv. My story begins on a Friday night last December. I remember it quite vividly. We saw on the radar that this red cell of weather was coming over Warrandyte and in the space of an hour, a massive amount of rain poured down over our house. And when that happens, we're always a little bit concerned because we live on a very steep hill. And sure enough, the rain was so bucketing down that it poured down our hill and into our downstairs area of our house, flooding some areas. And those areas just happened to be wardrobes. And one of the areas was what we call lovingly the TARDIS, It's an area under our stairs and it may look small but it can pack away a great amount of stuff. And so a lot of the things in there got wet. Adding to the tragedy was the fact that I couldn't deal with it straight away. We had to very quickly go on holidays and so lurking in the back of my mind was what might be festering in the TARDIS. So in early January I started to pull things out And um, I created a pile on the back deck which was things to go to the op shop and another growing pile of things that needed to go to the tip. And so I hauled it back up the hill, put it into the back of the car and as you do when you go to the tip, you search around for other things that might be able to go there as well. And I had a decent amount of space to, to put things in in the back of the car. So off I go in a a musty-smelling vehicle off to the tip, off to a tip that's the Nutterwadding tip that is, in fact, in Vermont. And um, I pulled in, and I had this sense it was going to be an unusual visit. I don't know with, whether anyone else has encountered this, but the attendant on the gate was a particularly cheery man. Has anyone encountered him, or is it just me? yep. And it's like he looked into my soul and all I'd said was what type of rubbish I was going to deliver that morning. And he said to me, you're a really happy person. You must just have a great life. And I was so stunned by his assessment of me. I didn't really know how to respond. I thought, I've only told you what type of rubbish I'm delivering. And (laughs) Anyway... That sort of set the scene and I hadn't been to that particular tip before and I asked him how you navigated the procedures and so I pulled the car in and backed it in and I'm confronted with this scene of this massive pit and there's all these cars backed in and people throwing things into this pit and there in the pit is a caterpillar tractor crushing everything that's being pulled in poured in and people throwing it in and there's just dust going everywhere for me that was just a a strange moment of realization how much we accumulate and how much we throw out and the reminder of just the futility i guess of some of the stuff that we have and i started to pull my stuff, my junk into the pit but as I'm doing so and I'm looking at the objects that I'm throwing in there, I was struck by the moment of realisation when every single one of those items I'd purchased was so carefully thought about at the time that I threw out a hat that I'd bought in Canada that was warm and I'd pushed my twins around in the stroller in the winter in the snow wearing that hat. And then a wicker chair got thrown in and that was my grandparents' wicker chair that was beyond repair. And I imagined the conversations that had been held by the people sitting on the veranda in that wicker chair only then to be crushed by this caterpillar. Do you get the sense of that profound experience that I was having? And I looked over to the couple who were merrily throwing their objects out and the husband pulls out, oh, remember this Dr Hook CD? We loved this CD. And they were reminiscing over things as well. And the lady and I just had a moment where we stopped and we looked at each other And we didn't say anything and we just raised our our eyebrows and I thought, yeah, she's having this moment too. I'm not alone in this. So all the objects got thrown in, all got crushed. And I got back in my car and I just had this profound sense that God had something to say in the midst of it. And I said, God, what is it? What is it that you are showing me? And I had to cue in the... um, length of cars and trailers because people needed their their trailers weighed and I had time to stop. And then it started to come. God revealed the moment of truth for me. And he said, you store up things, you store up emotional baggage. You store it up and then there's just no space for me to speak. And you needed a flood to come in and clear that baggage away. Where do you do that with me? Where do you store things up, the voices in your head? You know, the things metaphorically that you've spent so much time thinking about and then there's no space for me to speak into it. And I'm reminded where the scripture says who can add a day to their life through the worry And I probably haven't added anything to the worry except being not in a place where I can hear God. So I heard God in that moment as I queued to get out of the tip. And do I still store things up? I probably do, but I always remember that experience and I think there's been a lot more times in the last six months where I've had that space to listen and hear his voice. The irony, of course, is when you drive out of the tip at Nutter immediately at the lights is Knox storage. And that wasn't lost on me either. So it was just the bookend to an amazing morning. Thanks for letting me share my story. Thanks, Viv.
1: Morning, everybody. I'm going to ask Maria and Rosetta to come up. While they're coming up, I've got a quick little advert I want to give you. Um, Over the months of June and July, we want to do something a little bit different around here. Off the back of our relationship series, we want to encourage you to hang out with each other. So we've got this idea where we want to share tables. And you might have a table that you would like to share with somebody, or you might like to go to somebody's table and share... So we've got this thing called tables to share and uh, we've got a list of people who've already put their hands up and said, I've got a table to share Uh, and I know there's a stack of you out there who say, oh, I'd love to go to somebody's table and share. So I I think whether it's this week or next week, we're going to have names up in the foyer, names of people who've got a table to share and how many spaces they've got at their table and we'd love you to write your name down and go and have lunch with somebody somewhere over June, July. Good? Yeah? Will you all do it? Excellent. Maria. Everybody, this is Maria Nemec. Now, Maria, you've been on a bit of a roller coaster over the last little while. You've, you have. It's been okay. a real roller coaster. You've got your family over here. Your family's come to support you and cheer you on as you share this morning. Absolutely. You've, you've had a bit of a cancer scare, and you've had a few months of, um, of some radiotherapy. Is that right? That's that's right. And it culminated in some pretty heavy-duty, serious surgery. That's right. Uh, And during that time, uh, that's a story that I'm going to get Maria to come back at some stage and unpack because it's huge. And it's huge in terms of what God did in you in that space. But our topic today is declutter. And you've got a story to tell about something in relation to declutter that happened in that roller
2: coaster for you. Absolutely. Um, I had a few lovely ladies come over and helped me declutter my life, my house. It started off with my house. Um, they were there for two after two mornings for two hours each each time, um, and we started off with the lounge room. I just accumulated so much, so many things over the years. Um, it's twenty five years of um, just stuff. Stuff. Just stuff that I really didn't need in my life anymore. I just didn't use it. Um, God was telling me that I needed to get rid of it. But I just didn't have the energy. I didn't have the motivation. I I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it on my own. Um, a couple of friends um, sitting at the front here um, have helped me in the past trying to... Um, Help me get rid of um, things in the past, and I just couldn't do it. So it enter, was just too hard. Into your new community family, right? Exactly. So we do
1: a thing um, every, every roughly every eight weeks where we invite all of the NCR community to go out and engage. So go out and find some people to engage with. Go out and help somebody. Go out, use your hands, your feet, your voice, whatever it is to go out and, and be of assistance to someone. Instead of gathering here today and, and getting built up, we ask you to go out and do and be. Uh, and so off the back of that notion... Uh, a bunch of women came. Rosetta, tell us who who was involved and how did it come about?
0: Right. Well, Ali Box put a request out on the NCR Women's Facebook page and (laughs) a notification came up and I had a look at it and I thought, yeah, I know Maria. I can do that. And um, so there was Jan Earl, Erin and Maria. Maria Barr. uh, Maria Barr. And we said, yes, we can do that. So we arrived on, uh, that was the Sunday Engage. And we got to it. Got to it and yeah. got to work.
1: Lots of work, yeah. And, and, and I love it. So my address is 14 Benison Street. Oh, no, hang on, sorry. <laughs> back, to, back to Maria. Maria, tell us. And thanks to those women that jumped in and did that, because it's huge. What, what difference did it make for you? What, what, what did it tell you about this community that you belong to?
2: I am in love with this community. I can't tell you how wonderful you all are. Um, It's changed my life, completely changed my family's life. My husband is so proud of me that I have thrown out so much stuff. (laughs) Noah's room is so much more organised because we have to be organised for his support. Um, the girls need to come in and find whatever Noah needs and they can do that now. Um, The laundry has completely overhauled, hasn't it, Adrian? (laughs) And I think Sarah would vouch for that. It's completely different. Um, Everything's got its space. Um, There's just one more room that needs to be done. That's another day. So you're day. not done yet, ladies, no, is it? no, we are not done yet. <laughs> well. But our house is completely transformed. But it's not only my house that's completely transformed. It's me. Um, what God's done for me. And I can't tell you how that feels. Uh, he's transformed my body, getting rid of the cancer that was in my leg, He's transformed my mind and he's completely transformed my soul Mm -hmm. and I am eternally grateful, totally and eternally grateful for what he has done for my life. Well, we love you and we
1: love your family and we love all of the wonderful team that that got in and and helped in that. There are dozens more stories like this. We could spend a whole day just telling stories of the difference that Engage has made. In fact, I think it was my very first Engage that I, I met Adrian... Um, in, in the front yard doing an engage, and my kids turned to me one morning and said, This is the best church ever, mum! Because they were wheeling wheelbarrows up and down a driveway. It was amazing. So we've got an engage coming up soon, and I would love you to think about what is it that you're meant to do? What is it, where is it that you're meant to serve? Whose life are you meant to transform? Is there a primary school that you can do a working bee at? Is there a, a neighbour that you can support? Is there someone you can take out for morning tea? Is there someone's house that you can go in and say, What can we do? And they might say, nothing, just come be with me. Or they might be a young mum that says, I'd love you to help me cook some meals and stock up the freezer. I don't know. It could be any number of things. So more of, more of this story, hey? Definitely. Yep. Let's, let's give those guys a clap. Thank you. That's awesome.
3: Okay. Decluttering. Thanks Jonah for your great intro of life hacks because I didn't quite know what a life hack really was. I must be too old. A strategy or technique adopted in order to manage one's time and daily activities in a more efficient way. And today we're going to talk about declutter when there's too much stuff. Now if anybody knows me, I am totally the wrong person to talk about this. When I told Norma and Trev, they laughed. And I did too. It was interesting because um, I had just—I I do a Bible with Bron at the Heal Clinic, and I just spent some time looking at a particular passage that we were going to talk about in our Bible study. And it was that parable in um, in Luke chapter twelve about the farmer who puts everything in the barn, and it doesn't fit, so he pulls down the barn and builds a bigger barn and puts it in. And I felt convicted, and I went. I think I do a bit of that. I think I build bigger barns to put more stuff in. So my application of that was I'm going to start to declutter, but I'm just going to do one cupboard a week. And I'm going to start with Troy's wardrobe because I've sort of moved,
2: <laughs> moved into
3: his. And he's going to be home in three weeks, so I sort of need to move out of his. So that was my little application that I would start, and then I came to staff meeting and Von said, these are the topics, Bron, this is yours on declutter, and I went, oh, I think God's already spoken to me about that one, okay, I will take it. I am a clutterer, I like things, and you know when declutterers ask you that question, Does it bring joy? Does it give life? I go, yes, (laughs) it does. I like quirky little bits and pieces of things. But I want to share a bit about decluttering. Now, that life on the lawn is interesting because my older sister was on that show and um, she lived in a terrace house in the city so she couldn't actually put her life on the lawn. They had to take it to the park. So there was a park around the corner in Collingwood and they pulled all this stuff out and we had to declutter. But it's in my blood. It's my mother's fault. She's a declutterer. (laughs) And it's her father's fault because he was a clutterer, And I'm not really good at that at all. But I also had another sister that got on another reality TV show. This is before reality TV was a big thing. So I'm the unfamous sister. There's three of us girls. And my other sister got on a reality TV show called The Abbey. And this is where they took five Australian women away for 38 days to join the Benedictine nuns for an an experience of spirituality, could they find God in 30 days of solitude living the life of a nun and the amazing thing about this story if you've you've seen the documentary is all these women do find God when life slows down declutters they have time to think they have time to unpack God is found by all of them it's quite incredible So today what I really want to talk to you about is not so much the decluttering of physical things, but the decluttering of our minds and our spirits, a little bit what Maria's already shared. Sometimes the two go hand in hand. And I have been on an interesting journey. There's a verse in the book of Colossians that says this, since you have been raised with Christ... Or, since you know Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So, I ask myself, how do I set my mind on things above? If I'm a follower of Jesus, or I want to inquire, what is this life with Jesus, and I'm told to set my mind on things above, how do I do that? And what does that look like? I sort of fell into the answer for this. I was talking to a friend about something I was praying about and she said to me, Bron, you should try fasting. Ugh, no way. Another thing about me, I love food. I'm one of those people that wake up hungry. I can't skip breakfast. I eat breakfast, lunch and tea, morning tea, afternoon tea and supper. Food is something that I really, really like. It comes very naturally to me. I have a theory that I exercise a lot so I can eat what I like. That is the mindset that runs through my head. So confessions today, you're finding a bit out about me. And when this friend said to me... I have been fasting and praying over my family. It's amazing. Part of me went, don't tell me. I don't want to know. And I reckon half of you are ready to leave already. You go, don't open that can of worms. I don't really like the idea of fasting. So this is what fasting actually is. A deliberate abstinence from physical gratification Usually going without food for a period of time to achieve a greater spiritual goal. My definition of fasting is that fasting declutters the mind and spirit so that we can hear from God. So about 12 months ago, this is where I was at. Bronte had finished year 12 and she had a gap year and she was going to go travelling to Europe, not to Europe, to Asia. For three months Sometimes with a friend And sometimes by herself As a mother I was pretty excited for the adventure She was about to go on But I was also a little bit concerned Of my daughter wandering the world by herself And I went You know what Maybe this would be a good time to fast and pray pray God's protection over her as she journeys in places that I can't be I can't be there to protect her and I shouldn't be there to protect her she's a big girl now she's doing life on her own so I decided that I was going to pray and fast and pray God's protection over her in the places that she would go it was a bit of a stage where I was moving from perhaps little people that I had a bit more control over and I could tell them what to do and what not to do to starting to get to a point going you know what, my mothering is changing I've got to start doing hands off my kids are getting bigger, they're getting independent hands off and pray and this started to become my motto as I was fasting don't interfere, don't get in the way Bron hands off and pray and this is how my journey started so I decided to fast one day a week. Now, I didn't research. I didn't think too much about it. I just said, I'll do it. So I decided that I'd fast from evening meal one night to evening meal the next night. Now, admittedly, the meal that came up the next day, we ate at five o'clock. I was hungry. <laughs> None of this 7.30, eight o'clock meals. I also gave myself the privilege. I said, you know what? you can drink cups of tea with a bit of milk. So that was just what I planned. And with fasting, there's not necessarily a set rule. You choose, have a think about what works for you. I also didn't want to be in a place that everybody knew I was fasting. So if I didn't drink cups of tea in the staff room, people would be looking at me going, what's going on? Why aren't you having a cup of tea? And I felt that I, by just having a cup of tea, it could go under the radar without other people necessarily knowing. That's what I did. Then troy was about to leave he was about to go to scotland and i went our family's about to be in a whole lot of different places god bronte's home safely thank you for looking after her but i think i'm going to keep praying and fasting for one day a week while troy's away and just pray protection over our family in different places and god what do you want to do and it has been amazing I must say, 12 months later, what God has done in me, um, answers to prayer, has been absolutely incredible. So I'm now standing up here today going, yay, fasting. I never thought I would say that. Because what's happened in me when I have slowed down, when I have taken time to go, I'm going to go without king's stomach is not going to rule my life anymore king jesus is going to rule my life i have found an incredible clarity i'm starting to hear god's voice more clearly i've had dreams i've had pictures i've had a passion to pray about things in places that i would be wobbly and freaking out and anxious and getting really worried god's given me an incredible faith to go I can trust God in this and I am going to trust God in this. It has been transforming for me. It has been the most amazing thing. I don't quite know how the fasting affects spiritually. I don't know all the ins and outs of how it happens but it does happen and it has made an amazing difference and this is why I'd like to share that with you this morning. Now, I think we know All of us know that eating is an issue in our country, in our world. Some of the statistics about how much food we eat. Too much food, our bodies are not healthy and the wrong types of food. I don't need to tell you about that. And it is an age-old problem of instant gratification. I know when I'm tired, I eat. When I'm lonely, I eat. When I'm down, I eat. When I'm bored, I eat. I shove things in my mouth for this instant gratification. And you know what? Mankind has been doing it forever. If we go back to the biblical account of Genesis, God creates this garden and he says, you can eat off any tree, any tree of the Garden of Eden, except for one. So what do we do? I want that one. I think that tree looks particularly good. Fear of missing out started way back then. Why should I not eat of that one? God gave them more than enough, but they wanted to eat that one that God said, no, don't eat that. A few chapters later, we see Esau and Jacob. What does Esau do? He comes home famished. He says to his brother, hey, that stew looks good. I don't know that a stew has ever looked good, but... He says, that red stew looks good. I'm famished. Jacob says, sell me your birthright and you can have it. King's stomach. Esau gives up his birthright for a bowl of stew. What's going on there? Then a little bit later in the story where God miraculously delivers the Israelites, God's people, Away from Pharaoh, they've been complaining, God rescue us, we don't like being slaves. Get us out of here. God does the most almighty amazing rescue, parts the sea, they walk through on dry land, they get to the desert, and look what they say in the desert. They start grumbling about what? Food. King's stomach appears yet again. Oh God, if only we had died by the by your hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you've brought us out in the desert to starve us to death. How ridiculous that they're worried about their stomachs when God has just shown this incredible power, incredible care, and they're grumbling about what they're eating. Then God in his graciousness turns around and says, I've heard your grumbling. Tell them at twilight they'll eat meat. And in the morning, they'll be filled with bread. And here we have God providing manna from heaven. God provides for them. And he also says to them, now don't hoard. Don't get enough for three or four days. Just get enough for one day. Because you know what? I'm a good God. And I'm going to turn up today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. You don't have to fill your pockets. But they tried to. Some of them went, oh, just put a bit extra in for later in case I get hungry. And it goes moldy. It starts to rot. And God says to them, no, I'm the faithful God. I will provide time and time and time again. Trust me. And when it comes to the Sabbath and you're not supposed to be gathering, I'll put out enough for two days. Then you can gather a little bit more. God provides. And then when we jump across to the New Testament in Matthew chapter 6, it talks about fasting and what it looks like. So Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount and he says to them, when you pray, when you give, and when you fast. Notice he doesn't say, if you fast, he says, when you fast. It was an expectation that followers of Jesus would fast. They would give up food. They would give up and focus on God. And he says this, When you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they receive their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So Jesus is saying here don't walk around moping saying I'm miserable because I'm not eating. You will feel miserable because you're not eating. It's a struggle. That's what fasting is about. It's a struggle. I don't like doing it. I really don't like doing it. But when I see what changes, I love it it is worth the battle it is worth the sacrifice it is worth dethroning king's stomach and saying Jesus you're the one I'm following there's been a few times when I've been fasting that I've broken it because I didn't want it to be public or maybe somebody's gone out of their way and I pop in to visit them and they say hey I've made a cake for afternoon tea Sure, I want to eat the cake, but part of me also doesn't want to dishonour an effort that somebody's made. So it's not a tight, fast rule that can't be broken, and if I don't do it, God's not going to turn up. There's a flexibility. It's about your heart attitude and the choice that you're making. So we don't want to become legalistic about it. But Jesus says, when you fast, I didn't realise that. Only recently I went, hmm, okay. When you fast Now a few things Fasting is not to manipulate God And it's not a hunger strike It's not going God You have to do this We don't have control over how God works It's not me battling with God And it is not a diet So if you go into this going Oh yeah I wanted to lose a few pounds I'll do it while I'm fasting Wrong attitude Don't go there and if you have somebody who's struggled with eating disorders or any of those issues, don't go there. This is not a good space to go. There's plenty of other places or ways that you can seek God. So be careful, be careful. But fasting was something that was practiced by Jesus. It was practiced by the early church. They had set festivals and times that they did fast as a, as a whole group. And people often called on God in a crisis. We can look at Nehemiah, Daniel and Esther where things were bad and they stopped and they called upon God and said, God, we need you. It was almost like a desperate plea. God, help. And in Chronicles it says, the people came together and they said, God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And that's the mindset of fasting is saying, God, I don't know what to do here, but I'm looking to you The almighty, powerful God who is good, who cares, help. That's what they were doing. Now I don't know how many of you have seen the amazing movie um, by Christopher Nolan, Dunkirk. I was reading about it and I heard a bit of interesting information. If that battle was lost, it could have turned the tide of the whole world. And this film, I wish it did, but this film didn't show the day before that battle. You see, on May the 26th, 1940, King George called for a a national day of prayer and fasting. And this photo are the queues of people queuing up to get into Westminster Abbey the day before the battle. And apparently... The historians say all the churches in the UK were lined up like this, where people were going, we're going to pray and we're going to fast that God intervenes. This is a real picture of the day before what happened. And if you've seen the movie, you will know that Churchill called on all the small fishing boats to go and rescue those soldiers because they were concerned they were going to lose 100,000 100,000s of men if they weren't rescued. So the fishing boats go off to rescue. It's also said that a violent storm grounded the German Air Force along the entire French coast. So that Air Force could not go and attack as they had planned. So these little fishing boats saved 338 British, British soldiers escaping the Nazis at Dunkirk. How incredible. And historians write, not just followers of Jesus, historians write, an eerie calm settled over the entire English Channel that made it possible for small boats to cross and rescue soldiers. So all these little fishing boats could go over. Now, this is no coincidence. And no one at that time called it the Battle of Dunkirk everybody called it the Miracle of Dunkirk I can't can't help but wonder are there things that we should be fasting and praying for are there things that we should be stopping and saying Almighty God we don't know what to do but our eyes are on you Are there situations in your personal life, in your family, in people you care about, that you need to have your eyes up and looking to God and saying, God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And I wonder what might happen in our community if we prayed and fasted and we fervently went, I want more of God. I don't want King's Stomach to reign. I want more of God to reign. And maybe you're somebody who's going, fasting, I don't even know if God exists. Don't take me on to the fasting journey. Maybe you're someone who goes, I just want to see God turn up. I want to see if God's real or not. God, would you show up in my life? This week's life hack is fasting. By fasting, we can set our minds on things above. We can set set our eyes to Jesus rather rather than down on the things that clutter our lives. I'd just like to end with this promise in Jeremiah 29, an amazing verse. God says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. The first part of that verse tells me that God is good God cares and God knows He knows our futures And then he says you will call on me And come and pray to me and I will listen God promises to listen to our prayers When we call out to him You will seek me and you will find me When you search for me with all your heart fasting does something about making me pursue God with all my heart not just a little bit not here and now not, but with all my heart and when I fast it's not as if I just hear God clearly in that day of fasting but I sense that God throughout that whole week I have an incredible clarity of hearing God speak and seeing God work And it is really, really exciting. It is so exciting. Troy gets back in three weeks. I'm not going to stop fasting. Even when everyone's back home, safe and sound because there's too many other amazing things that I don't want to miss. I don't want to get stuck in the clutter. I want to keep decluttering my mind and my spirit for more of God. Because God says, I will be found by you when you search for me. How about we as a community search that little bit more for more of God so that we can see him in amazing ways.